This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, how do you legally protect yourself in Canada? Neil Boyd, Professor Emeritus, Simon Fraser University's School of Criminology, and one of Canada's top criminologists helps us understand the answers to that question. How do you protect yourself and what circumstances matter? He tells us about crimes in Canada that need to be addressed and how we can actually have an impact on that. Also, why are younger Canadians holding off and having kids? Ryan explores this topic on Millennial on the Radio, and listeners share their philosophy on having kids. Yay or nay, did you want them? Are you okay with Big Macs? How about scary movies? All of this and more for you on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Our guest right now is Neil Boyd. He's Professor Emeritus, School of Criminology, Simon Fraser, and uh, Chair of the Board of the Directors, International Center for Criminal Law Reform and Criminal Justice Policy. Now, I say that first before I introduce you to Neil, because there's a story of a man who's charged with murder for defending himself. It happened in Milton, and uh, it's an unbelievable story. I want to rewind about 20 years or so about a story I was told, it's an American story, and get some feedback on what is actually happening here. Um, I don't think we, I think the, the, ho- the Hollywood, the movies and the TV shows, too much NCIS Los Angeles uh, is filtering the way that we look at some of these crimes. So Neil, thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you. So you, um, you, well, you, I was going to say you do murder. That's not what you do. <laughs> Your expertise is sort of in murder. And this is a self-defense conversation that's become a murder conversation about this particular story of a man. The story is, Cole's notes, somebody invaded his house. Someone broke in. This man allegedly defended himself, killed the intruder, and now is up for charge of murder. Um... I guess as a layperson, my question would be, how am I the bad guy if if I'm that dude? Well, I don't think we know a great deal yet about the circumstances of the killing. For example, um, Canada and the U.S. have very different laws regarding defense of property. And, and, and we used to have a much more um, open law. You gave people the right to defend their homes with very, very few restrictions. Now, the amendments that took place in 2013 um, ask that it be reasonable in the circumstances. So, for example, if uh, you have a a gang conflict and you have somebody coming into the home uh, to take revenge upon uh, an, uh, an affiliate and that person is killed, it's not your typical defense of property. I don't. I don't think we know entirely yet what the circumstances of the Milton killing were. Right. Um, and and so we're always in this position in Canada of asking, well, it, was the response reasonable in the circumstances? You know, if you're at home with your wife, uh, somebody breaks into your bedroom, and they start jumping on the bed and and trying to attack you, and you happen to have a knife, and you pull that knife out and you stab them. The courts are going to look at that as reasonable in the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Again, so much depends on the facts of of any given case and how courts might interpret it. It may vary from one case to the next. Um, as I said, the law now requires this concept of reasonableness to to be in place, and so we have to ask, well, what's reasonable? And, and the best answer is, well, it depends. Well, it depends. Yeah, boys, this is where your career is so confusing to me. Um, <laughs> you guys do such a good job being able to explain that. Okay, so because I brought it up, the Milton man, then it is possible that we don't know enough of the circumstances around what happened to know whether or not it was as simple as some guy wandered into the house looking for directions to the corner store or if someone walked in with a mace and started swinging it around the living room. We don't technically don't know that, right? We don't know if there's a relationship, for example, between the uh, person who was responsible for the killing and the victim. Um, And and that might matter. That might speak to the reasonableness of the the approach. I I think that's what we always find with criminal cases. I I, I mean, I've been... uh, 
guilty of this myself. I remember once years ago criticizing the police because uh, they had gone into this apartment and shot a young man um, because they believed that, uh, well, he was involved in trafficking marijuana, but they also believed he had a, he had a sort of a pistol in his hand and, and it wasn't really a pistol that, that would have done anything. It was sort of a, a, a replica, but, um, but I remember being very critical and one of the comments I got back from police uh, friend uh, later was, you know, they were just following uh, the orders of the law. They, 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 they were following the mandate, rather, of the right. law. If you have a beef with what they did, take it out with Parliament. It's right, not, yeah. Change the know, policy, so, right? Yeah, yeah it, it, was, it was a really good learning experience for me because it made me realize that you know, you've got to be very careful about speaking with respect to individual cases. I was very involved in the Milgard case um, investigating that case with uh, former detective inspector of Bank City Police. And I really learned through that how complicated uh, the evidence is. And and now I have a great reluctance to speak about individual cases unless I know a great deal about them, often unless I've you know, seen the transcript or looked at the appeal documents or, or whatever. Well, it's a good rule for life, really. It's the same thing as voting. You and I could sit here and speak to politics all day, but what do we accomplish if one of us didn't vote, right? Like, like I, I ask that question here on the shift often. It's like, okay, that's great that you carry that perspective, but what are you going to do about it? Right. Whether we, we find in life these days, we might not like what people protest about downtown. Right. right. But they are taking a stand in what they believe in, whether we agree or disagree. Fine. But they're taking a stand. And often in cases like this, we don't educate ourselves. We don't. So I'm glad you brought that up, that we don't take the time to take our stand or or get educated and learn more about it. And and I guess I, I would never have thought that that really translates to the law, too. But it absolutely does. Yeah, I think in terms of how the law is to be applied and whether it's applicable, so much depends on the facts of the given case. Yeah, fascinating. Okay, so let's talk about this whole protecting yourself in general. And let me rewind 20 years ago. I don't know if you're a rock and roll fan from back in the day. Probably. Um, there's, a, um, there's a singer, his name's Kenny Wayne Shepherd. He's from, I think he was from Texas. He's from some southern state. Um, apply southern state stereotype all you like. Right. This was the early 2000s. And we were having dinner uh, downtown Calgary, and there was a news story that was similar. There was a, a break into the house, and and someone was shot. And I remember we brought up, we were just chatting about it at dinner, and he said, you know, the crazy thing about that, uh, where I'm from, I would go to jail. And he said, I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, in my state or his county or whatever the, the rule is there, he said, where I'm from, if someone breaks into my house the rule, the law says I have a responsibility to protect my family. And if I don't protect my family, I could go to jail if I'm not prepared to prepared to protect my family. And I was like, get out of here. So you're telling me some guy breaks into your house and then hurts your wife or your children and you are in trouble. And he's like, absolutely. That's the case. Now, I don't know that to be true. That's an anecdote from a man who told a story, but it does lend some at least a little bit of perspective on the wide gamut that some of these rules are when we watch American TV and then we see Canadian news and it, it really is that different. Yeah, I think that's right. I, you know, I, I don't know. I've, I've never heard of that kind of, of a law, but I, I do remember a case in Canada probably 20, 30 years ago now in, in which uh, a young man broke into the backyard of a neighbor and jumped over a fence and the, they had a swimming pool the neighbor and he wanted to, so he jumped into the pool and this infuriated uh the, the the neighbor who came out with a gun and as he was jumping over the fence to make his getaway from his pool dip he was shot and killed and so you know that again becomes under the current law um you know, there would that would not have been seen as reasonable. But under the old law, where you're allowed to defend your property, there was a very lengthy, and I can't recall how it how it ended, but there was a very lengthy debate in the courts and elsewhere about whether that was a legitimate defense of property. 
Yeah, so it gets wild when we think about these things because you hear these stories and maybe these are Hollywood script worthy, but you know, this guy breaks into the kitchen, slips and falls, hits his head, and then now all of a sudden the homeowner's insurance is responsible for the injury, right? <laughs> like we hear these crazy stories that are out there and they're not black and white the way uh, you describe it. So it's fascinating. No, Neil Boyd I, is- I do think we're living in a time in a culture where the perpetually aggrieved um, uh, are have become a bit of a problem or, or at least I, you know, I guess we, we all tend to look at the extremes and so right. on the extremes of, you might say the left, there is this, you know, constant uh, litany of victimization of, of, uh, of being perpetually aggrieved about just about anything. And then of course we see in the United States, some of the extremes on, on the other side in terms of, of claims of election denial mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. So how do you dig through all this, uh, Neil? Neil Boyd, uh, your history is, you know, professor with school criminology, but really you, policy is the thing today. Um, what is it that, I'm assuming you work in the area that you find to be the most impactful, right? You wouldn't work in an area that you don't personally find to be the most impactful. So what kind of work is going on in the background? If there's all these rules that are here that we got to get clarity and evidence and all these things, you said take a stand, right? Get involved, get in front of parliament. That says change policy to me. And how, so what do you get in front of now after all this well, career? I, yeah, I mean, 30 years ago, I, I thought got to change the law around cannabis. This was a big, I wrote about that when I was yeah. in my 30s and 40s. Well, that one backfired, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so so what we have now, I mean, I, you know, I, I think it was a, a sensible enough change. It's uh the, the legalization of cannabis. But yeah. now we've got a much more significant problem, right. which is how do we deal with this, all these overdose deaths? So I'm interested in that. And, and, and I keep reading, you know, people on both sides of that coin. Uh, you know, in Alberta, there's more focus on recovery. There's also a focus on harm reduction, but it probably tilts in direction of recovery. Whereas in, uh, in British Columbia, to some extent, there's a bit more of a tilt to, well, we've got to stop the deaths safer supply. So I, I've become quite interested in that issue. And well, what does safer supply mean? And my concern is, yes, I think it's a good idea. But we also have to recognize that the people who are doing this, you know, really don't have much of a positive view of their lives. And it might well be that a lot of deaths will continue even with the safer supply. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 I'm not sure of that. I, I do think safer supply will will save lives. But it's very difficult as to how you organize that and get right. it out to the vulnerable people. To the yeah. People who are well, and then criminality around it is one of the safer supply things too, is that you've got, if you make the supply safer, do you start to reduce the gang action, which of course gang stuff turns into murder. It turns into all the other things that are around it. So is that a, a bit of a stepping point? Maybe it's a cart before the horse or a chicken before the egg of which well, one comes first. Well, it's kind of interesting first. with the cannabis, cannabis as an example. If we, you know, we, we the data now are telling us that, um, uh, we're going close to 65, 70% of people who buy cannabis are buying it from the legal market, whereas it started out well under 50% after mm-hmm. legalization. I mean, partly just because the there's more knowledge, more choice. Convenience, uh, And there's too, a I lot mean, less violence connected to the trade. Yeah, interesting. Convenience, I would say, because you can just go to there and you don't have to call the guy and meet the guy and go to the thing. And right, like I think the access to the product has helped in a way, too. Right. And the risk, I mean, I remember interviewing a guy who uh, killed another person over a pound of marijuana back in 1975. Wow. And, you know, um, that seems unthinkable now. But but uh, so, you know, I in, in that area, I think taking the business away from the illicit market and the illicit dealers is is a better strategy than continuing to fight them. We haven't done very well. Uh, at that game. Mm-hmm. Well, drugs and homicide is part of your focus. I mean, what 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 is the ultimate, I guess, less people dying is the answer to both, I suppose, right? Yeah. As I was asking that question, it occurred to me, I'm like, well, I guess the answer is less people dying in general. Although, but, although how we get there is a very tricky Well, business. and how do you get there? Is is it policy? Is it education? Is it, um, you know, mental health around people not being so stressed out all the time? Like, seriously. I mean, all of the above, I think, you know, we, we look at how our murder rates have gone up and down and and that those up and those changes in the murder rates aren't really related to legislation that we passed. 
um, we abolished capital punishment in 1976, um, and and the homicide rate declined after that. I wouldn't argue that was because we abolished capital punishment. It's just that every every piece of legislation we've put in place, when you look at the murder rate, trying to figure out whether the murder rate had a relationship to that. I mean, I you know, we look at the 60s and the 70s, late 60s, early 70s, when the murder rate really took off. That was a time of in intense conflict. The divorce rate went up 400%. The illegal drug industry, which had basically not even existed, just boomed and all, all of the conflict that that produces. Um, we had the Vietnam War and the, you know, make love, not war, peace, the, all of that social conflict spilled over and uh, into domestic violence, into, right. into a lot of different areas. Yeah, so it is impossible to narrow it down, really, right? Like you got to pick off I your battles, so. right? Like so again, but then doesn't that come back to this man in Milton and the details, right? Really, it does. I mean, again, it's difficult to figure out, and you know, you got all these criminologists um, arguing about, well, why did the murder rate go up, and why did it go down? And some people say, well, it's just you know, at one time in Canada, seventeen percent of the population was made up of young men between the ages of eighteen and twenty-nine. And by the late mid to late nineties, uh, it was nine percent. And of course, because young men between that age commit most of the homicides, mm -hmm. that might just be an explanation as to why it first went up and then went down. All the baby boomers passed through. Isn't that crazy? Out of their crime prone years. That's but, crazy you know, to think. Not, like it's demographic. Clear explanation either. Like all the I mean, policy that you've worked issue for. With that. Yeah, like all this hard work about policy and rules and money spent and everything else, it turns out there's just less hooligans. Like that's, that's like, it's <laughs> yeah. crazy. I mean, and, and we don't really have a firm uh, way of understanding why, you know, yeah. uh, 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 an approach that everybody would adopt where you say, oh yeah, that's why that happened. That, mm -hmm. that isn't the case. Uh, Neil, if you could pick one thing in front of us now, I mean, we've, we've chatted about, you know, drugs and the influence and homicide and the byproduct of all that stuff. We've talked about this home invasion sort of notion about how do you protect yourself? Um, if, what would be the number one thing in, that you see from your perspective, you know, a school of criminology that is there one white elephant in the room that we're missing? Because if we're so quick to jump and judge and all these things as a society, which I agree with you, I think we are, uh, what's the white elephant in the room that, that we're kind of missing here that really could be a, a key, maybe bubbling in the background? I mean, I think one of the things we're missing is that the nature of crime has changed and, and cyber crime is, is a huge threat. Um, and uh, money laundering, corruption. And we really, you know, if you think about how difficult it is to confront that. I remember years ago when I was doing this project for BC Securities Commission on um, a fairly significant um, fraud, the Ponzi scheme, the Aaron Mortgage scheme. And the question was, well, why is it, um, you know, what, what, what's, what's driving that? And it's... Um, uh, well, the RCMP said, you know, I can get a rapist off the streets in about six days. These guys who pull this $300 million fraud, it takes me virtually years to get them before a court. It, you know, the, the work that one has to do. And every day we get emails, we get phone calls, attempts to defraud us, and they can send them out, you know, millions at a time. Yeah. Uh, and. I don't think we've yet really got a handle on on how to deal with that. There was a case recently in BC of a young girl who had been uh, uh, extorted, sextorted uh, by a guy in the Netherlands, and yep. it took 12 years to get him extradited to, to uh, face the courts here, and finally he was convicted, given 13 years. But just that one case, the amount of time and effort that had to go into it. So... I guess the one thing I'd say, crime shifting, what we think of as crime, like shoplifting, theft under, car. I mean, a lot of security mechanisms have taken care of, not taken care of, but dramatically reduced theft of cars, theft. But this area of cybercrime, the internet, and I, you know, we've just the last few days, we're getting all of this talk about how, you know, countries are undermining each other with respect to the use of these social media platforms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, so I think in crime, that's that's going to be our challenge in the next generation. It's it, we're going to move away from you know, like if we look at crime rates, um, say well property crime is going down. 
well, no, it's not really going down. Uh, you know, I, we can all point to several attempts to defraud us probably in the last 24 hours. Yeah. And we just, we don't categorize cybercrime very well. We, we've not yet got the tools to confront it adequately. Isn't it interesting when you look at some of the biggest businesses that are out there today, that with the internet, the way you speak of, Spotify, Uber, all of those, they started in places where the rules were different or not as stringent, build up a massive following, sort of ask for forgiveness, and then make their way into the into the mainstream. I'm not implying that they are criminals by any means, but I can tell you that when it came to music streaming in the beginning, I mean, Spotify, they stretched an awful lot of rules by going into countries yeah. where they didn't have licensing to go into until they were forced to, and then they started to follow the rules, and look what we have today, but a juggernaut of a business that does a fantastic job delivering music to people around the world. It didn't start that way. And so isn't it a fine line being able to identify uh good business, smart stuff versus cr actual criminality where someone's looking to actually break the law versus maybe change the law. Yeah, I mean, we could say, for example, we all know that tobacco does an enormous amount of harm. Mm -hmm. But in Canada now, we're down to about 10% of uh, adult Canadians who use tobacco as opposed to 1965 when it was 65%. Yeah. And we've done that not through criminalization, but through you know public health, messaging and through aggressive non-smokers rights protections yeah. but the other side for tobacco companies no restrictions in the developing world and they've just you know moved Shifted. offshore and yeah. uh, so that all of those kinds of changes which are are so substantive are not ones that we can really pick up at yeah. the level of individual criminality yeah it's amazing well thank you for this look it's fascinating for us to just be reminded that uh purview uh, the nature of community. Where does the community line go and where do those rules end and the next rules start? Um, I will uh, take away this note, though, Neil, is that that invitation to participate, right, is so important, isn't it? It is. I mean, I think, you know, if you if you turn your back on it, turn your back on politics, turn your back on your community, um, you know, that we all suffer as a result yeah. of that. We're, Fascinating we're, stuff. We're less involved, less committed to each other. Yeah, really appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you. This is the Shift Podcast. Why do we not want to have children? And this is something that I sort of was observing from my friends and, and you know, on Facebook and, and Instagram, you connect with your old friends. And while good chunk are getting married i only know maybe 10 people my age that have had kids or are having children and i think i have an idea why but here is some of the statistics from stats canada on you know the amount of millennials and gen z that are deciding that kids are just not for them First of all, like I, I want to make sure that I'm I'm good and I get everything paid off before I even think about having kids and I don't even know how long that's going to be. I might not even have a chance to start a family just because of how expensive everything is. New data from Stats Canada show that more than a third of people 15 to 49 don't intend to have children, while over 50% of Canadians intend to have at least two kids. For over a decade, the number of children per women in Canada has been on a downward trend. I'm just focusing on my studies and what I'm going to do for the future, not so much about the family plans. Many people also feel certain benchmarks, like home ownership, are out of reach. I mean, it's concerning because prices just keep going up. Grant White with Endeavor Wealth Management says younger people face tough financial challenges between inflation, rising interest rates and real estate prices, causing some to hold off on starting a family. It has become a lot more expensive, which is why we've seen a long-term trend of, of birth rates just dropping and dropping and dropping. This didn't start because of the pandemic or because of high inflation. It's a continued trend. I think it's just become a lot more evident as we're looking at, like, why aren't people buying houses as early on as they used to? Hmm. It's always so, been getting more expensive, though. That's kind of life. Always. It just gets more expensive all the time. It's true, but we have less financial security than any other generation in the modern era. There are $18 billion in student debt and 1.7 million Canadians are student borrowers with the vast majority of them being millennials. So if you look at debt alone, which is a huge shadow 
you know, that is one obstacle. Then you have the price of a home. Then you have the price of cost of living. And then there is uh, a more interesting issue. And that is a personal reason. The, the choice to not have kids can be financial. And that needs to be part of the conversation, I would, you know, hope. Uh, but uh, I think there is something happening here that we're not seeing yet. And that is um, maybe patience is the word. My generation are waiting to get married and are waiting to have kids, maybe. And uh, I think there is a few reasons for this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe they have good. a kid. Maybe they have a kid. Uh, one, in, divorce rates are incredibly high with uh you know my generation at least you know it's like 50 percent of kids have divorced parents and that can add a lot of trauma and can add a lot of uh ill feelings about getting married and so the but it doesn't necessarily take away the desire to get married and so while we have all these financial issues a lot of millennials have grown up and have watched their own families make mistakes and some are choosing to look at those mistakes and try to go about marriage differently to find a different outcome. And this is what's really interesting for me. My timeline, if you had asked me what I thought my timeline was for getting married and having kids, I would have told you that I would have been married by the time I'm 26, 25. Uh, now, now that I'm at 26, I don't think I will be married until I am 30. And I don't think I would have a kid until I'm 35. That's my guess. And I'm fine to wait. I am fine to wait because a lot of millennials want to have marriage be more than just a family. They want marriage to be an experience with your partner. Five years to really hunker down and experience life with this person through the bondage of marriage and the, you know the rings, the ceremony, all of it. And to experience that before you pull the trigger and say, let's do it. Let's bring a child into this world. And I think that's actually really great, personally. And I, I'm the, the stat that I would love to see, and I, we're going to have to wait 20, 30 years to find out, is the divorce rate for my generation. Because I think it's going to be a little bit less, not like astronomically. But I do think it will be well, a little less. It's going to be less if nobody patient, gets married. Well, yeah, but this patience and this this choice to wait is is uh, I think w will pay off. Now, where kids play into that is uh, there's I mean there's so many reasons. My generation is less religious than previous, so the religious reasons to start a family that is declining. Uh, there's also, of course, the financial versions and. Well, frankly, if we're waiting to get married until we're in our 30s, then the, the kids are going to come later. But the thing is, like, this is an interesting choice that I th think will be very, uh, like, is going to be fascinating to look at. It's going to take decades to really understand the, you know, the outcomes of it. But this is also a crisis because we need people. Now, Canada, we're very lucky because we have so many immigrants. We have millions of people that move here for a better life, for a better chance. And, you know, that has helped Canada grow. But Canada's birth rate is as bad as Japan's. And Japan is currently in a crisis where it will get to a point where there are more people who are over the age of 80 then there are young people. And then you look at the crisis of care, retirement. How do you support all those people that can't work? The economy will shrink because there's literally not enough people to host it. So there are very real issues that come with not having enough children and raising a new generation. And so um, I am curious because Gen Z is now reaching the early 20s marks for most of them. And millennials are now in the early, approaching the late 20s, 30s into the 40s. And so how much of the waiting for kids is going to bleed into the Gen Z is remains to be seen. But if you look at my generation for literally creating the, the replacements for us, we did not do a good job of it. We're waiting. 
because we don't feel like we have solid enough ground to do it. You know what I hear? This is not a statement about you. I know you're talking about a generation, not about Ryan. So I want to be distinct with everyone who's listening and with the way you describe it that way. You know what's missing out of it? Hmm. Community. What? Everything that you say is uh, for your generation lacks community. That's what kids are. That's what family is. That's what everything yep. is, right? And um, and I I slightly disagree about the religion part because um, the religion part, organized religion, sure, but there is a true belief out there in the younger generation that hashtag blessed thoughts and prayers is a religion. And um, I'm not a religion person, but organized faith is incredibly important in some fashion. And I don't mean that somebody has to believe in God. I just mean organized an organized belief system. And it's incredibly important for people to do. Now, some people find that in their coffee shop with their friends, and some people find that in volunteering at the food bank, and some people find that in a church. Some people find that in a yoga studio. Um, but organized belief system is incredibly important because it gives people something to live into. So it, it's interesting to me the perspective of waiting the reason why I didn't wait was because I met a guy named Tom. Tom got remarried when he was like 50, 55 and had a baby. And he was 60 when I met him. And he had a seven year old son. He was going to be 70 or older when he, um, when his son graduated high school. So he was going to be in his 80s if his son decided to have babies to become a grandfather. And the thing, I mean this heartfelt. I don't mean this criti uh, critically at all. I think that as your friend, the thing that I would ask you to consider is I, I, I think it's great that going out and experiencing life and traveling around and getting some of that experience stuff out of the way, like, you know, I want to go to Italy and go on your, take your dream trip to Italy. My buddy Rob's a great example. Rob waited. They bought the house first, got married second. I don't think kids are in, in the future, at least currently as the current plan at all. And they saved up a bunch of money and had a beautiful honeymoon and did all the things. And yet that experience is beautiful, but I've had kids and I can tell you this life begins, not the day you're born life begins the day of the birth of yours and you want to experience life differently and know what I geez, I feel emotional even just saying these things and knowing what love is. I didn't want to have kids. I never did. There was no part of my picture in my mind. I can't wait to have kids. It was a natural course of action. Just like I had the girlfriend and thought what's next. Well, I like her. So let's get engaged, right? Like I didn't think about those things. I'd say that you are so much further along in your maturation than I ever was. But now with babies, the sense of community and the sense of everything that comes in with that, that's when the magic starts. To think that if I could trade the notion of your generation of go out and experience life and have kids later, versus have kids early and then go out and experience life. Simplistic, but I think it makes sense. I know that my gratitude, understanding the value of those trips, those places, my presence is night and day different today than it was back then. And after having kids and seeing kids play and being around, kids teach us, right? And that's where the learning is. That's where the experience is. So I can't imagine a future of growing older the other way around. I just can't. I can't even imagine it. And it, when you talk about an entire generation that's choosing to just go out and have a good time and, and experience life, I think that they don't know what life is. And I know that sounds harsh. I say that I, mean it, I say that in confidence to Ryan. Uh, sorry mm -hmm. to interrupt, buddy. I, I say that in confidence to Ryan. For everyone who doesn't know Ryan and I, you know, personally, personally, you, I all, I say that because I know Ryan's talking about a generation, and I know how important 
marriage is to Ryan as a person. It always has been, um, not necessarily right away and all those things, but I know that that union of two people is incredibly important to Ryan. So I'm not banging on marriage uh, and Ryan's things. I just want to say that part. Yeah. Which I, I appreciate, you know, I think there's also this thing with millennials and, and, and Gen Z because I'm right on the border of Gen Z. So with that context of, um, you know, we have grown up and many are fed up with the system that we live in. We don't like a lot of it and we want parts of it to change or be flexible. And so there's also this sort of rebellious instinct of my parents got married at 25. They had me at 26. Uh, I have to do the same thing. Well, no, just because they did it that way. Does that mean I have to do it that way? And I don't know if the general uh, consensus is that the, the weight or the choosing to do it your own way is beneficial. I don't have that answer. But I do kind of like the idea that my generation is taking a second to really, really think about when and where to bring someone into the world. And also to really, really think about what the marriage is because for some people it is the family unit, but for others it's not. And uh, to also have the to make the choice to wait and to put intention into just living as two people before you make it three or four people is very interesting to me and the other thing too shane is i can't really answer the question because i'm not there yet it's down the road Mm -hmm. i want to get there and i honestly don't think any millennial or any gen z can tell you if they made the right decision waiting to have kids or if it was the wrong decision until we get to that point. I think right now the rates are very low and and the kids are the, the amount of millennials and Gen Z that are having kids is is very low. And as time goes on, when we get a little bit older, I imagine those rates will go up. But if it was the right decision, if that consensus matters, we'll have to wait. And I wish I had the answer now. But in the meantime, I do think that the reason where I think that there is intention in waiting that goes beyond the affordability. That's why in this whole thing, I didn't really talk about how expensive a house is. I talked about why yeah. from the heart. Well, I can tell you. Yeah, I can tell you this part um, that a lot of the things like the fed up about the systems, um, those things change when you get involved in the systems. And that's where that community mm-hmm. part comes back in, right? I think this generation that you that you speak of has this look that they're waiting for someone to change the systems to make it easy for them, and it becomes convenient. That's not how it happens. It happens when you get involved. And so you have to get into the community in order to change the systems. And that's incredibly important to know. I mean, marriage, we are collapsing marriage and coupling up. Um, many people are just going to be coupled up and not get married. The I like the institution that is marriage, even as a divorce guy. I still believe in it. Um, but people that don't necessarily go to, I mean, marriage civilly is basically a tax contract and faithfully is for your faith. So getting married is not a, a hinge point of this conversation for all of that. But I can tell you that there is a map though, right? Like there is, there is, you, you say, I don't have the answers, but you do have the answers. And ironically, it's found in community. If you go into community today, you can find Somebody who had kids at 18 or 20 or 22 when they first got out of school and then got married and had kids right away. And they will be able to tell you the good and the bad of doing it. I have a friend who had, uh, it was a teenage mom, then got married and had her second child at about 23. And now she's about 40, 44, 42. And her marriage did break down. And she's 42 and her kids are gone from school. They're gone. They've moved out. They're gone. And she's 42. She has an entire life ahead of her to become everything that she wants. And she has the asset of that love and community of family behind her. So that that evidence is there. And then you can go to other people that have had second marriages or had babies later. And that evidence is there too. And just find out from them. When does it work? Now I speak of this from a place of that you can, you know, control when you have babies. You really can't, right? Like you could try to, but you really can't. All I can tell you is this. 
is that the longer that the world goes without Ryan O'Donnell being a dad, and the longer that um, the world goes without Ryan Jr. in it, um, is robbing power from the world. Because I think that a guy like you, when you become a dad and you live into the things that I know you love that we speak of privately, and the more of that you live into makes this world a better place. So in the belief that you're not the only person in the generation that's pretty cool, I would say that there's an awful lot of people that are robbing the world of their greatness by waiting. And it's not about property taxes. They just get more expensive and so do houses. So anyway, I hope that that means something to you because I can tell you that. Oh, it does. Yeah. That statement I made earlier that life doesn't begin when you're born, but at the birth of yours is a very important statement. I think that many people need to consider. So, but it's interesting and time will tell. And I think that your observation of everything that you just said about millennials is bang on accurate. So mm -hmm. time will tell friends in the meantime, you know, that being said, Ryan's going to go make babies now. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for sharing your heart on that, dude. Really appreciate it. I, yeah. I, I, oh, I hope it comes across that my acknowledgement about how powerful you are in that. Cause that's what I really want it to. Oh, oh yeah, it does. Yeah. Ryan was sharing about millennials, not having kids. I personally think Ryan would be a great dad. So I hope he does. Uh, this text says it's a big, scary world you're bringing them into. That is true. That is very true. It's frankly a very ugly world. But at the same time, it's incredibly beautiful. And it's always been an ugly world. I would say it's less ugly today than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. Another reason I don't want to have kids is I know my mental disabilities are hereditary and I have a hard time dealing with certain things. Right. Get that. Got to think about that one, too. Um, and that's difficult on a parent when something that is hereditary hits your kids, without a doubt. Uh, Les from Hamilton says, it sounds like to me like people are waiting for the perfect moment to have kids. Just want to say the perfect moment rarely, if ever, happens. I always wanted kids. Just didn't work out that way for me. My ex and I, when we got together, both agreed, Texter says, to not have kids. In hindsight, it's a good call as we split up. I'm Gen Z as I am 35. Uh, that would make you millennial, I think. Isn't it right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Millennial. Yep. That's one. That's millennial, not Gen Z. Um, okay. Shane, you're absolutely right. I'm 56. I have two 28-year-olds, uh, a 16-year-old, and a 20-year-old. No regrets. Uh, thank you very much for that. See, it's interesting, though, right? Um, and one of the things that I wonder, right, is when 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 people talk about having kids or not having kids, and that divorce thing, and the, the some of the trauma that comes with divorce, and all those pieces. I mean, that's real. That is very real stuff. But they're in the relationship, and that's the thing that I don't get about that one, is that being married and having kids, it's all the same thing. It's all relationship, right? It's all your commitment and integrity to be in a relationship and how are you going to serve other people? So if you're able to be in a relationship with someone, and I'm of the opinion, by the way, that it's disappointing in today's society that you need a license to drive a car, but you don't need a license to have a kid. Like that's messed up. But the, the, the fundamentals of integrity and being in a relationship are the same. They're the same for your partner. And they're the same with your friends and they're the same with babies. Just the integrity is the same. So I guess I don't understand how it's any different if you, um, unless it all boils down to having babies and not having as much free time or the cost that comes with it. Cause Oh God, it's expensive. It's expensive. I think another really important part in this is, and it's not just all marriages aren't just like this. Cause there's obviously gay couples, but many women are choosing to not want to be the stay-at-home mom. Many women yeah. want to work now, and the opportunities are getting better. 
And so I think, especially I know this from a lot of my friends, uh, that there's the, okay, well, yeah, like I could have a kid, but I also don't want to like not work for 10 years. Uh, and I want to be able to work and also have a kid and the amount of effort that would come into that. And also getting the men in the relationship to be more involved and less of the, I'm the breadwinner, I'm going to go make all the money. But the consequence of that is that I'm never home and never get to see my kid. And so there's also, uh, I think many millennials want to find ways to address that systemic way of having children uh, in um, mainly hetero. It's changing, right? It's changing right now. And uh, to reap the rewards of it, because I know for me, if um, my partner and I decided to have a kid and it robbed them of their career, that is guilt that I would feel really gross about. And I don't want it to be, get to that point. And I know I'm not alone in yeah. that that feeling. Yeah. Sure. I don't. I mean, robs them of the career is a very dramatic look at pauses a career. And in today's world, um, there are all kinds of ways to, you know, be back to work within a few weeks. So, I mean, there, there is that, you know, one thing that I do find quite amazing is there are some professionals that get themselves set up financially beforehand. Um, typically you can't do it if you're not making a six figure income or larger as a combined, like each of you making that. But I have seen with some people that they worked, they were together and they worked for say 10 years. They had babies closer towards 35, 40. And I have a friend who had a baby at 40 and, and that was very dangerous for her. It turned out to be a very dangerous endeavor. And, um, but what they did was, is they already had multiple properties and their life today in their forties is a lake house, a nice car, financial security, and all those things. So there is that. And I, but it may, as I say that, it makes me wonder and worry about the notions of lifestyle when people that are making $45,000, $50,000 in their career that they've chosen um, think that they're going to uh, have that lifestyle if they just keep working. Because that, that finish line never comes, right? Like that finish line, there's always something else to spend money on. There's always something else that's going to pop up that costs you money. And it, the only difference it makes is that guy who has a lake house and a rental property and all those things well, on paper, they have all kinds of assets, but their problems just get bigger. Right. Hmm. Now, if you look at, if you were to total up how much I spent on owning a horse, buying a horse, horse jumping, hockey, spring hockey, all of the bits and pieces that are involved in my kids, I would live a very affluent lifestyle as opposed to month to month like I do today. Like the amount of money I used to make when I was young was staggering. Money used to fall from the sky. It doesn't anymore because I have a job job. And um, it just, it, but I still had kids and it didn't matter. The money still went somewhere. It still goes and gets gobbled up. So I find it absolutely amazing. 877-399-9898. Um, kids or no kids, where do you land with this? Um, I was 34, this is Kat, uh, Catherine, Kat and Gimli. I was 34 when I got married, 36 and 37 when my kids were born. That's because I was married to someone else before that and it ended badly. Um, I'm glad I didn't have kids get dragged through the awfulness of that. I don't regret being an older mom except for that my now adult kids have not yet found life partners and there are no grandkids yet. Oh, that's interesting, TikTok, hey, isn't it? Um, you're oh, older and now no grandkids. That's interesting. I have a, uh, a gut feeling that I, and I, I actually like this feeling. I, let me stress that. I want to give my parents grandkids and my partner's parents grandkids. Oh, yes, it's you almost do. That's like fun. It's a it's fun. I loved I get emotional. I love my grandparents. I only have one left. And the impact that my grandparents had on my life is just mm -hmm. unbelievable. And I would love to be able to give my mom and dad the opportunity to do what their parents did for me. You know what I mean? And so mm -hmm. uh, I understand that like, you know, uh, by putting the delay, you know, their time as grandparents is shorter. And that is something that I think is one of the, one of my least favorite consequences of waiting to have kids is the grandparents mm -hmm. part of it. Yeah. And when you say it that way, what kind of relationship do your grandparents like when I was, 
I think I was, my dad was 25, I think, when I was born. And um, my relationship with my grandparents, see, I remember when my parents turned 50, I was already out working, chasing my career. So I remember my dad's 50th birthday. And um, well, at the time, I thought he was old, but <laughs> turns out now when you're almost 50, you're like, oh, it's not very old. Um, but my relationship with my dad's dad and my dad's mom, I used to, we used to go out there in the summertime. And they were old folks that sat around and did crosswords and did the things. But we used to go see them for two weeks at a time or more in the, every single summer. And we could do that because they had, you know, at least the energy, even though they were older, to still hang out. And we were teenagers at that point. You know, so that part is, that part's really good. That's a really good point, right? Um, another text, if I'd known how much fun it was to have grandkids, I would have had them first. That is so true. Um, I'm going to continue that text from Cat and Gimli. It says... Just have kids when it works for you because there's never a right or wrong time. The various happiest time of my life when I felt I was living life meant to have was when my kids were infants and toddlers because I was needed and adored and I was overjoyed to be their mom. I've learned that every stage of life has its rewards in direct proportion to how much you put into it. That's very touching. Thank you, Kat, for that message. Have babies or not have babies. Um, that's what we're talking about here. Uh, for millennials, Ryan was talking about millennials waiting to have kids. I'm perfectly happy in my marriage and really don't want to have kids. I have only seen kids lead to divorce and hardship um, in marriages and don't want to take that chance having kids myself. I've only seen, I've only seen cords le kids lead to divorce and hardship. Well, it's not the kids that lead to the divorce. I can tell you that much. It's never the kids. It's always parents who are dumb. And I say that because I was one of them. Um... Uh, dinks, <laughs> double income, no kids. <laughs> I don't know who that's. Hey, from. that the people you'll see it on TikTok. People living that lifestyle. It's there's definitely an attraction to it. I mean, being married and being able to just be like, hey, you want to go to like Japan for a week and just take off and not have the responsibility. Mm -hmm. There is like there is merit to that. I mean, especially when you're young. But, you know, if you're both 85, it's a little bit different. If you have all the money and the money means a lot less, the older you get, I, you know, so there's that. But mm. I, I see well, the appeal of the double income. No kids, man. But I, and I get that. I'm not saying don't do it. All I'm saying is that I think what I see in today's world is people aren't going backpacking across Europe with their partner to experience the world. People are going to all inclusives in Dominican Republic every five weeks. That's not experiencing life, right? Yeah. I think I create that distinction. I, I feel like there's more and more people that are, are just going on vacation to take a break, but it does speak to how compressed this world is today. Another text says, my brother has, uh, has a daughter. Sadly, our parents have passed away different times. Sadly, they won't get that feeling of being grandparents. Um, 65 this year raised two wonderful girls lost one in a miscarriage i wish we tried for another it's people who uh it's people who mess this world up so people have to fix it can't fix this world without people yeah that's interesting Whew. um heavy topic man have kids don't have kids i stand by the notion that i don't know I create this dis distinction in my writing quite often. Um, and as I say that, I realize I don't share it with you very much. And that's probably my fault. Um, well, there's another one. I'm also a dink and I wish I wasn't. So there you go. Double income, no kid. Uh, the distinction that I share is living and alive. I think many of us are living. Just living. How you doing? I'm living. And if you imagine that in your, even if you say it, if you're sitting with me now and you're just kind of driving along or you're sitting in your bed or whatever, and just kind of slouched over, and you're kind of like, yeah, I'm living. But if I say the distinction is between living and alive, even just saying alive feels different. Like you sit up, you're like alive. Oh, and that to me is what kids can do for you. They create the distinction between, and I'm saying, not saying everybody, because some people are, don't have kids and they're very alive. And kids aren't for everybody. Holy cow, let me tell you, they're a handful. 
But the question, I guess, that I would try to leave everybody touched and inspired from Ryan's conversation here is when somebody asks you, are kids good or bad or whatever, take a moment and be, okay, well, what does living look like and what does being alive look like? And were kids part of that? And for me, they were. So more alive because of it, without a doubt. Definitely more broke. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with the Big Mac? The Big Mac. If I had to pick one fast food burger, nay, one burger that I could only eat for the rest of my life, I think I'd be content with a Big Mac with no pickles. I think I'd be content with it. I Does love it come them. with pickles. Yeah, but I hate McDonald's pickles because they're basically they just they're too thin and they're oh they're the best. What no, is wrong with you? No, I can't stand <laughs> McDonald's pickles. No, I love the onions oh they put God. on there. The lettuce is good. Quarter no, pounder with cheese. To... Yes, only no cheese and pickles. No, you have to have the onions. Extra pickles. No, the, no. Uh, McChicken no. with only cheese and pickles, plain. Just a McChicken, a bun, cheese, and extra pickles, like enough to cover the whole top of the chicken patty. Uh, no, nah, see, the, the, you lose me with the pickles because I think the rest of it is so good. I love the Big Mac sauce. I like just the lettuce. And when you eat a Big Mac, you know, if you eat it over the carton, it falls apart because there's all the extra lettuce and mayo. And then that's in the carton. And then yeah. you dip your fries in that. And it's like, oh, that's, that takes me back to high school and um, this moment right now where I wish I had a Big Mac. I do wish I had a Big Mac. Although I had my very first Big Mac last week. You know the reason I did it? Well, I know. I disappoint you. How did you go um, so long without having a Big Mac? Just curious. Because apparently like, I was smart avoiding disappointment is really what it turned out to be. I have never been more disappointed than the day I had a Big Mac. Because guys like you, you're like, it's the best thing ever. Oh my God, I love it. And I had it and I'm like, oh my God, it is bun and lettuce. It's terrible. There's no meat. There's no nothing. Yeah, but okay. But you also set yourself up for failure waiting till you're in your, your 40s to have a Big Mac. You have to have it when you're young um, throughout so that you have the context of it tasting amazing when you're a kid, amazing in high school. And look, I will I will admit that, you know, it's McDonald's. If you, let's say you order five times a year, uh, you know, th- at least three times, the fries are going to be a little cold and the bun's going to be a little stale. But there's that one time where the fries are fresh and they're hot and they're crispy. And then the burger mm-hmm. has the perfect ratio of lettuce and mayo. And that right there, that is, that's heaven, dude. Mm-mm. No, it was bun and lettuce. It was terrible. Um, <laughs> I'm very sorry. I felt like that. I had eaten. I did. I felt like I ate a loaf of bread with some lettuce. That was it. It was like a lettuce sandwich is what it was with three slices of bread. Ugh, it's terrible. Anyway, um, Ryan is very excited to tell you. The only reason I did it, sidebar, was because I was being frugal. And in Calgary, and I'm sure they do it in all the cities where there's an NHL team, but when the team plays, they do a Big Mac for three bucks if you use the app. Great deal. No, because it's terrible. No, it's not. It's a waste of $3. Anyway, Ryan's very excited for you to find out. Um, that there are new things. There's a refresher on the ingredients of the Big Mac according to a the very first Big Mac commercial. It starts here with a lightly toasted bun and then a pure beef hamburger, sizzling hot, a slice of cheddar blend cheese, and some crisp, fresh lettuce. Then, our own secret sauce, the club slice, toasted, another hamburger, and a little more sauce just for good flavor, crisp dill pickles, and the sesame seed crown. This is the sandwich. 
terrible. Anyway, that was a refresher on the original ingredients. Thank you. I understand now. That was my fault. But if you listen very carefully, did you hear he didn't say fresh? He did he not. He said fresh. And some crisp, fresh lettuce. Fresh. Yes, come here and fresh. have a fresh Big Mac at your McDonald's today. <laughs> fresh. Fresh. Um, okay, the Big Mac is the uh, titan of the fast food industry. From marketing perspective, yes, it is the titan of lettuce and bread. But if you don't like red meat, you can now enjoy the Big Mac with some white meat. McDonald's is finally launching the official chicken Big Mac starting on Tuesday next week. For a limited time, Canadians can sink their teeth into a Big Mac with chicken patties. The Big Mac sold out in just two weeks in the UK. The Bicken? The Bicken? <laughs> That's not know. what it was called. It wasn't called the Bicken Big Mac, was it? No, it's, it's Friday. Just hit the button. <laughs> That's a typo. It's a typo! It's a typo! <laughs> it's not Bicken. The Chicken Big Mac sold out in just two weeks in the UK, and interestingly, McDonald's head chef in Canada told CTV that they were working on the recipe for two years. Two years? Two so, so lettuce I, and bread? Okay. That was my thought originally as well, but uh, so a couple of uh, news outlets in Toronto got to try it, and uh, I was watching the Herald, one of their reporters uh, did a bite, and he said that the patty is not the same as the McChicken patty or the Junior Chicken. It's like a little bit wider. It's thinner, but it's also apparently crispier, and it seems like there's more sauce than the normal burger. So I, I'm very excited. I'm going to try it for sure. I might even get one of the of the normal and one of the chicken to do a direct taste test comparison. Holy bread. <laughs> I love bread, man. I, I just love bread. You do love bread. Yeah, this is I true. Ryan does love bread. Um, yeah. All right. There you go. There is a uh, bacon chicken. Bacon chicken. Uh, Big Mac. According to Ryan O'Donnell. Okay. Oh, Friday morning's fun. Are you? Okay. <laughs> All right. I don't think I have a chicken. No, we don't have a chicken. I think I looked up chicken before. Yeah. Do you want to hear a good chicken pun? I don't have a chicken at all. What's that? Okay. So this is this guy who he runs a, a fashion store and he says to his customer, uh, you know, we're all we're sold out of a lot of our stuff. One of my favorite customers uh, came in and uh, he bought. A lot of his stuff, he's very, uh, his name is Ken, and he's very chic. We call him Chic Ken. Oh, God. But God. <laughs> I would like, <laughs> I would like to apologize uh, for all of the effort you put in to uh, push the button to listen to this show right now, and this is mm-hmm. what you're getting, but it's mm-hmm. Friday, and it's Mail It In Friday, and <laughs> <laughs> that I got paid cute, to actually. just give you credit. have that sentence. You I did. would, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do not make them reevaluate. Nope. Oh, are you okay with scary movies? Hell no. Yes, yes. I love a good scary movies. Love the actually scary ones like the Babadook, and then the goofy, silly ones like Chopping Mall or. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, like, you know, goofy movies. I love it. Love it all. All right. I don't. They scare me. One scary movie has stood the test of time. Scream. You're making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? I'm just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. You like scary movies? Okay, the Scream franchise is a great look at the whole genre of horror. The franchise continues to explore the themes and stereotypes of slasher horror films. It's basically a parody of horror that is a horror show. The new Scream film is set to be released soon, and Paramount is marketing Scree... Really? That's a typo. Scream 6 in some interesting ways. 
Butler rushed to the historic town square after getting several calls from people worried about somebody wearing a scream costume. The person was seen standing on the corner of First Street East and East Napa Street. Now what you're looking at is from webcam video. And there's the person. Police say that person told them they were hired to promote the Paramount Pictures' new movie, Scream 6. The original movie in 1996 was filmed in locations all over Sonoma County, including right there near Sonoma Plaza. Uh, that's Fox 2 California. In the video, the actor dressed in the ghost face costume stands completely still, staring into a security camera. Scream 6 comes out next week. The plot reads... Four survivors of the ghost-faced murders leave Winsboro behind for a fresh start in New York City. However, they soon find themselves in a fight for their lives when a new killer embarks on a bloody rampage. Dun, dun, dun. It looks awesome. Okay, uh, text message, Ryan. Yep. I have a question for you about your try a double Big Mac chain, Stephen Kitchener says. Yeah. You ever had that? Uh, yeah, I've had that. Yeah. Is it double gotta... the bread? It, no, it's double the meat, same amount of bread. You just oh. have to like prep. You know what's funny? It's not available in the States. It's Canada only. Um, you just got to prep yourself. Like It's kind of like eating uh, a double down from KFC. It's going to taste good, but Ooh. you are going to regret it in about an hour. But I do love them. Oh, double down You can also good. get a big um, map, but replace the patties with quarter pounder patties. You can do that too. Well, that was another text that came in. It said, yep. order a double quarter pounder dressed like a Big Mac. You can do that. Yep, you can. Absolutely. See, that's appealing to me. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.